Today we are finishing up the series on the family. And today we're going to address singleness. And I'm only going to talk for 10 minutes. I was waiting. I was waiting. Um, but that's true, I hope. I actually have a bet with somebody, so i got to keep it. Can Christians bet? We live in Nevada, don't we? So then I'm going to ask Joe Padilla and Elena to come up, and we're going to talk about what it means to be single. And so more of an a, a interview than a sermon. And I'm excited about it. So let's ask God for his blessing. Lord, we ask that you open our eyes to your word today and a concept that is very important to think through. And how do we as single or married people have our highest devotion as you? So give us insight today, understanding, motivation, conviction, whatever we need, Father, to do just that. So guide us through your word today. In Christ's name, amen. The, when I started this message, I want to start here again in, in light of Roe versus Wade being overturned the other day. Um, the, um, we, we, I started this with Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and talked about the fact that God has designed marriage, sexuality, and children as a package. That when he created Adam and Eve, he brought them together in marriage and told them to multiply and have children. And so his design is that we, in marriage, in sexual intimacy, and children, we're all combined together. Culturally, we have separated them. And that has created a lot of turmoil in our world on many levels. And then as a society, we are so polarized and so anti each other and verbally mean-spirited to each other. And that comes from both sides, by the way, that we can't even talk about it. And so those of you who clapped, I'm with you on that. I'm glad that, that they've taken away from a constitutional right and put it back to the state's rights. The states should have always been the ones that dealt with this, but that's my political philosophy. But if you're someone in this room that laments this, I'd love to talk to you, not, not to convince you, but to learn from you, to hear from you. Why do you believe this is a good thing? And this is what we need to practice as Christians, whatever side you are on on this issue, and any issue that Christians divide over, let's learn how to talk and communicate with each other in a way that we go to Scripture and ask, what does Scripture teach, and how do we then disagree with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control? I think I missed one. So, so please, I, I ask that I, invitation to you. I ask you to come talk to me. So, anyways, marriage and family. But we are um, forty percent of United States population, adult population, is single. Four out of ten. And of those forty percent, there are those who've never been married, usually younger. There are those who have been married and divorced, and there are those who are widowed or widowered. Is, again, is that a word, widowered? It is today. 40%, four in 10, I would suggest our church is no different than the rest of the world. So how do we deal with singleness? That's, singleness was not a common thing in biblical culture, as far as lifelong singleness. In the Jewish culture, there was no expectation of singleness, you got married. 
In the Greco-Roman culture, there was more likelihood of singleness, but nowhere near to the degree ours is today. So Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians 7. It's a difficult passage. There's many things in here that are very culturally bound that we have to pull principles out of. And there's some things here today I'm not fully certain what they mean. I want to read the text to you and then bring Joe and Elena up. Actually, read the text to you, make some comments, then bring Joe and Elena up. So, 1 Corinthians 7, 6. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 5 deals with marriage. Now he goes into singleness. Paul says this, now is a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. Paul was single, celibate, for the purposes of serving God. And he wishes everyone was like him to serve God. But he says here, some of you have one gift, some have another. So there's the gift of celibacy towards singleness to serving God and the gift of marriage. And he uses this word gift here. It's, it's the word charis or charisma, same word for spiritual gift. I'm not sure we should classify this as a spiritual gift as much as simply an endowment from God how to live your life. So some of you in this room have been given this gift of singleness in order to serve God. We'll see that in a minute. That's the purpose. And some of you have been given the gift of marriage, of which we step into for the purpose of loving him. But he tells the complications now. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, I, I don't like, I'm using the ESV. I always use the ESV, but I wish I'd have chosen a different passage. But since I always use it, and it's typically what you open up, then I, kept, I stayed with it today. But would you put that verse back up, please? Dean, verse 7, rather verse 9. Cool. So... I'll read it to you. But if they cannot exercise self-control, that, that, that I don't like that translation. It, it's, it really should be read if they are not practicing self-control, which is how the New Revised Standard does it. See, cannot implies God hasn't enabled you. And I believe self-control is one of the fruit of the Spirit. So anyone who has the Spirit of God in them is fully capable of self-control if they depend upon the Spirit. But in the area of, of sexual intimacy, if you have not been gifted to that end, to where there's a supernatural ability to deal with that, Paul says marry, because there's a good chance you're not going to control self, you're not going to utilize self-control. But let's not make it you cannot. You have the Spirit of God in you. You have a new heart. We can. So I think a better translation, if you are not practicing self-control, which then would suggest you don't have the gift. So... We have two categories, a person who's been gifted to be single, a person who's been gifted to be married. And so from that point, now I want to jump down to verse 25 to um, explain what Paul further says about singleness. Now concerning the betrothed, if you read a different translation, that says now concerning the virgins. And this is one of the interpretive problems here. Who is he talking about? Betrothed means someone who's engaged, and in this culture, an engaged person would remain a virgin until marriage. It was a binding contract, but, so, so it, but also could refer to 
a dad whose daughter is a virgin, and should he marry her off? Remember, parents picked your spouse. Those of you who are not married, and we've talked about before, would you allow your parents to pick your spouse today? How would you like your parents to pick your spouse today? Raise your hand. Okay, no, I wasn't talking to moms. I was talking to, I won't, I won't, I won't embarrass your girls. So um, it's very clear they want to pick your spouse. So um, um, it's just not the world we live in. Much of the world does. Ours doesn't. So this is one of the interpretive problems here. But let's go with, with ESV's translation on betrothed. I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in, in the view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. So what's the present distress in Paul's day? Paul's going to mention this again. The days are evil. So Paul's saying in light of the evil going on in the world, I suggest you stay single to serve the Lord. But that's what he's suggesting here. And he says, I don't have a, con a command from the Lord. So Christ had not revealed anything to Paul to give instruction to single people. But here's Paul's wisdom as an apostle. Verse 27, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. But if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. That laugh, there's some information there. Should we get that information out of you now? Okay, all right. Joe, are you the worldly trouble that she's laughing about? I would spare you that, Paul says. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those, this is the hard one for me. Let those who have wives live as though they have none. That seems to be contrary to so much we've learned so far about marriage. What's Paul saying? And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with the world. For the present form of this world is passing away. So at some level, I wonder if Paul is being hyperbolic here. Um, given the fact that we just did Ephesians. I spent time in Ephesians 5. Ron did a whole sermon in Ephesians 5 about the importance of husbands loving their wives. So... Paul's point is clearly, the time is short. The world is, 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 is going to hell. So devote yourself to the Lord. Those are the hard parts of the passage. Verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. This is another problem with ESV at this point. If you see up there, I want you to be free from anxieties. Every other translation says, I want you to be free from concerns. The word here can be translated anxieties, that internal stress that just brings you anxiety. Or it's a word concern. You have a concern in life. It's not necessarily referring to that anxiousness, but more of a, a, a deep concern about what you're going to do in life. I think that's better. Anxiety here, I think, is, is the wrong word in the translation. And ESV is the only one that uses it. But the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord or concerned about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is concerned about the things of the Lord, 
how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is concerned about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order, and here it is, to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. That I want to make the main thing we think about today, whether you are married or divorced, or single, or a widower, or a widow, can we in our situation in life secure an undivided devotion to the Lord? If you are married, God calls you to be concerned about your spouse. That's what you're supposed to do. That's why you got married. And there's no doubt that a concern for a spouse, then children that follow, can divert energy away from seeking and thinking about the Lord. Married people, would you agree? I'm not saying the bad thing. I'm not saying it's that you failed. But there's the temporal concerns of life when we have families that a single person has less of. And if their desire is to serve the Lord, they have less complexities. But here's the problem in our church. I want to say this before I call Joe and Elena up. Not, not necessarily this church, not excluding this church, all churches. We tend to see single people as incomplete. When you get married, then you'll be complete. But if God has gifted you, you are complete. So I want us to make sure we're careful not to presume single people are missing something. It's the gifting of God. And if not, they should pursue marriage. So there's so much here. I wanted to lay those two things. Which gift do you have? And the second one is, whether married or divorced, we must, whether married or single, we must learn how to live a life that secures an, a devotion to God that is primary in our lives. And for me, because Teresa, and I don't say this, you know, I mean this. Teresa's heart for the Lord is way stronger than mine. So I'm mightily blessed to that end. Pray for her. So what I'd like to do is bring up Elena, March Egger, and Joe Padilla. And um, I've asked these two guys, gals, guy, gal, to share with us what it's like being single. And um, Elena, I'm going to put this down, down here just so it doesn't get in the way of people seeing. I describe Elena. By the way, clap for them, would you? I, I know that was forced. That was forced, I, you know. But... Um, Elena, I describe her as a single lady who is looking forward to being married in the future, but pursuing the Lord now in her singleness. Joe is a man not quite as young as Elena <laughs> that was married, but is now serving the Lord as a single man. So I'll let them expand on those two things, and we're going to start with Joe. So Joe, tell us who you are and what you would like us to know about you at, up to this point in your life that, that you want us to know. Hi, I'm Joe. 
Hey, uh, does anybody know what fish tastes good with peanut butter? Jellyfish. Don't, don't laugh at those things. It just encourages them. I came to the Lord in 1972 after the death of my godmother, Tony. She had a beautiful heart, always smiled, never gossiped, just loved people. And I had a cousin named David who was blonde hair, green eyed, two hours older than me. And we grew up together. We were like day and night, completely opposite. Altar boys, Catholic school. And one day we decided after the death of my godmother that we would do something different. We're not gonna be the same as we were. You know, the hippie movement was really powerful back then in LA. I grew up in the harbor of LA. And we were both crushed by my godmother's deaths. So we decided to be evangelical Catholics. And I don't have anything against that. I think it's powerful. But Dave found a, a Christian fellowship. And I go, what's that? And he goes, they're different. It's different. You, you got to go. You got to go. And I go, I don't know. I don't know. It's just so OK. And the pastor turned out to be a good friend of Billy Graham. But he was also the chaplain at LA County Jail. And unfortunately, that's where most of my friends ended up. And he decided after 40 years of being a missionary that he wanted to be the chaplain and serve God in a mighty way where, you know, it's just horrific circumstances. But he brought a bunch of my friends to the Lord and, and we had services twice a week. People were speaking in tongues. They were dancing in the spirit. It was like completely different. Uh, if you grew up Catholic, you, you'd know what I mean. Um, beautiful outdoor uh, Easter sunrise service, something I'll never forget, the flowers, the sunset, uh, the sunrise. It was just magnificent. The Christian life at, in Santa Cruz Mountains at the festivals, it was like a completely different experience. And we were positive and sure, this is how the first century church operated. This is exactly how they did it. Uh, together we were caring for one another. We had uh, food co-ops. We were serving the body of Christ that was unfortunate, uh, un less fortunate. And almost everybody back then was single, saved from the throes of the hippie love movement. So I felt so alive in Christ. I found a wife at church. We got married, but I had to, had to move to Orange County because of a job. And I felt like a number. I didn't feel like a person at that church. It was, I'm sure it's God blessings people there, but it just didn't feel like a church to me because I was in a small group fellowship. But we had discipleship. We had groups. We had dinners. It was just, a, it was your life. It was just something so magnificent. Um, but soon my, mom, my, my wife became bored and wanted to go back to college. And then she, she, she decided to leave me. It was a seven year itch. Prayed and fasted, waited six months. She never came back. I, I became really bitter and resentful. I thought, where's God? Where is he? This is really painful, God, where are you? How could he allow something like this? 
But one day she dropped by the house to pick up the mail and she told me, Joe, I want to try it, I'll try it again. But we were so involved in the world, it didn't happen. Within three, three years, we were divorced. I had a son. I became even more bitter and angry. The rebellious life, party lifestyle went on for another 30 years. I was, my, my wife remarried, I was living in Newport Beach, and I got a job offer to move to Sacramento. So I, I, I moved, I moved to Sacramento. And, I, and, I, and, and living in San Pedro, it, it, was, it, was, it was a city of death for me. So many of my friends died. I had a, at least a half a dozen near-death experiences. And, and so many of my friends died as a teenagers and in their 20s. And I, I kept thinking to myself, how am I not dead? Why am I still alive? So the Sacramento thing lasted about two years. I couldn't take it anymore and I moved. I sold my home there, bought a condo up in the Incline and moved here. Basically, I've been on an extended vacation for about 35 years when that happened. I've been to 55, 60 countries, traveled uh, South America, Caribbean, but I was still falling from grace and lost in a sinful, evil world. What biblical character does that remind you of? I would have been the extreme radical prodigal son. While living in the Dominican Republic, I had numerous relationships, and finally I couldn't look in the mirror anymore. I was so ready for repentance, and I felt so filthy, just like the parable. I decided to visit a Christian church that had an orphanage. It was there I felt my Savior running to me on a dusty, dirt island road. Children there get pregnant at 12 years old. So many, it, it, it was so imperative and it was, it was so important to try and save these children from a life of pain and prostitution. But that's where I rededicated my, God, my life to God. That was 2014. I was so energized. All I wanted to do was help these kids. It was such a life and death important cause for me. You can thrive as a single person right where God has you and at that very moment. I worked in the slums of Dominican Republic until my visa ran out. And that's when I moved back to Tahoe. Tony, you wanna ask? Yeah, then a little follow-up here. Okay. Question, follow-up, question, follow-up, back and forth. So, Joe, we just read in 1 Corinthians about living a life of undivided devotion to the Lord. Tell us how this verse drives you and how you live your life in light of that. I am so blessed, blown away by the mercies of God. I'm so in love with the Creator. I'm speechless. I, I feel like I'm, I'm going to cry. God's mercy abounds and is live today. Amen. Amen. Even when sin dominated my life, he still loved me. He still loved me. 
and he loves you. It was awesome to return to my first love. Nice. Amen. Is that good? Yeah. Elena, tell us who you are and what you'd like us to know about you. That's like such an open-ended question. I've probably right. spent more time on this one than any of the other ones. But um, I think I'll just share a little bit about um, how I met the Lord and then how I ended up here in Incline when we were preparing this. Joe was like, how did you actually get here? So I'll share that story. But um, I grew up in Carson City, Nevada, so just down the hill. Um, so this whole area has always felt like home to me. Um, but I have the huge blessing of growing up in a Christian family. Um, my parents met the Lord shortly after my brother and I were born. My brother's a year younger than me. Um, and they met the Lord in the Catholic Church, actually. So I grew up Catholic as well. And it was just super, such a blessing because my parents um, started to make their faith their own at the same age that my brother and I were sort of coming to the age where you start to learn about God. So we got the incredible blessing of just learning about the Lord together as a family. And some of my earliest memories are my parents coming home from church and just being like, this is what we learned today or um, getting baptized with them on the same day. They renewed their vows in the church. Um, so I don't really remember a time where I didn't know who the Lord was and what he'd done for me. Um, so I don't have one of those powerful salvation moments, but um, I do remember my faith growing and just becoming more my own as I started to play music and started to learn how to worship the Lord. Through that, um, that just became a more personal thing for me, learning to talk to the Lord and worship Him and all that. But I never would have imagined that the Lord would call me to that full time. Um, but in high school, He just made it so clear, like, this is what I have for you. And so I went to Grand Canyon University. I studied there for four years, um, studied worship ministry and biblical studies. And then when COVID hit shortly after my junior year, I moved back here for what I thought would be two weeks. I was like determined to go back there as we all thought it would be very short. Um, but then I fell in love with this area. I fell in love with this church and I never left. And <laughs> so um, this area is truly the best and I will not be leaving anytime soon. <laughs> cool. so. Promise? Yes. <laughs> Unless the Lord does something different. Now don't blame God. You're, you're staying. <laughs> So, Elena, would you share how you've grown in the Lord as a single woman and the struggles you've had? And, and if you want, tell some of the hopeful plans of the future. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I went to Christian college, as I said, I went to Grand Canyon University. And I don't know if any of you guys know the stereotypes around Christian college, but I can assure you that they are very true. They are not made up. Um, ring by spring is a thousand percent uh, true. Um, <laughs> and it felt like every single person around me was like dating, getting engaged, getting married, and having babies. Um, I had a couple friends who were married by sophomore year of college who are on their second kid now. And like, um, it's a crazy time. It's high speed dating culture there. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, speedy. So um, I was single for all four years of college. Um, I met my current boyfriend, Ben, in like the last semester of college, and we started dating like a week after I graduated. So for almost four years, I was just watching every single person around me. It, feel like, it felt like just like get married um, or have dating relationships or whatever. And so your natural reaction when that happens as a single person, maybe this is just mine, um, is to look around and be like, well, what, what's wrong with me? Like, why, why is this not what God has? And like, is there something wrong with me that everyone else has this except me? Um, and I think that's because we start to take singleness, not just in the church, but in our culture as like part of our identity. 
we take it on as a negative part of our identity, as if like something is wrong with us um, because of that. And so I think that's because singleness just exposes a need that we all have, like regardless of our relationship status, we all have a need to be loved and cared for and have the security of relationship and to be respected and known. So that's a core desire of all of us. Um, but when singleness starts to take a toll on our identity, I think that's because, or it's, or it's a sign that we're putting our relationships in the place of God. We're putting our identity in those um, before the Lord. And that's uh, still a mindset that I struggle with because even when Tony was like, oh, I, I haven't been single that much. What single people can I find? Oh, Elena, like my first reaction <laughs> was to be offended instead of like honored um, because <laughs> that's just the culture that we live in is like, oh, the poor single people. <laughs> and like, <laughs> and I think that's just because it's like this deep need inside of us to be known. And then that singleness brings that up that we can't be known by anybody fully other than the Lord. And so, this is really what the Lord had to grow me in in college, not just with romantic relationships, but with friendships. Um, the struggle of my life is that I get so much joy off of connecting with people and building relationships that um, I often put them in front of the Lord and I start to find my worth in them. Um, so I had to learn that the Lord was the only one who could fully satisfy that need that no one else ever could and that he was the source of my satisfaction. No person would ever be able to be that. So. Yeah, not only is this hard to do when it feels like every single person around you has what you want, um, but I think sometimes in the church, as, as Tony mentioned, we hold marriage on this incredibly high pedestal, which I think is good because our culture has made marriage this casual thing. So it, it's important in the church to like prioritize it. And I've been so enjoying these sermons where we're talking about the holiness and the sanctity of marriage and how beautiful it is and powerful it is. But I think as a single person, sometimes when you hear those messages, you can mishear the message of marriage is how you have complete and total relationship with God. And that's a lie, but sometimes you can hear that, even like our sermon title from a couple weeks ago was like marriage is the ultimate human relationship. And you hear those as a single person and you're like, okay, so I just need to wait for a spouse in order to have full and complete relationship with the Lord. Um, but that's not true, that's a lie. There's literally nothing stopping us from pursuing God now and from having a full relationship with him now. And just as that passage with Paul said, it, it's easier now because our loyalties aren't divided. So singleness is this incredible opportunity to have undivided attention with the Lord to build our lives on him and then have a healthy foundation to then put a relationship on. So I used to hear these sermons and read these passages and think that I had to wait for a spouse um, to completely com complete me fully. But then the Lord changed my heart, um, still changing my heart that, and reminding me that I, I don't have to wait for anything to pursue him now, that he wants all of me. And then that pursuit of him will set us up for healthy marriages in the future. So I, I think we have a choice as single people. We can look at singleness as an embarrassing and a sad thing, or we can look at it as an opportunity to pursue Christ with undivided attention, surrender to his will and confidently living in him. And this is a daily struggle and surrender for me um, to love God more than I love anything else in my life and to pursue him in everything. But I think singleness is the opportune time to grow that discipline, to learn how to do that, to put him first in our lives. Um, and looking back at my time in college, I, I think I wasted a lot of time in my singleness before dating, um, just pursuing relationships I shouldn't have or just longing for something that God didn't have for me at the time or comparing myself to others um, when I should have 
taking advantage of that time to learn how to love Christ more before adding another person to the mix. So I think we need to reframe our thinking from singleness being like a, something is wrong with us to singleness being a season where God is shaping and forming us and preparing us for something wonderful. We just have to learn how to pursue him and trust him in the process. Very well stated. Thank you. So Joe, the way you described it to me, we, we, we met the other day in my office and we talked about this, um, you know, that your, your passion now to serve the Lord, um, not being, um, uh, the word, Paul uses the word bound in, to, to a wife, to a marriage, you're single. But do you have, are you open to future relationships and, and how do you handle loneliness? You know, that's a good question. You that's know. why I asked it. <laughs> I'm busy. I'm very busy right now. I'm, and I enjoy every, everywhere God sends me. I've been to uh, the South Pacific recently for the last four years, working with villagers and doing volunteer work there. It's mind-blowing being absorbed in another culture. And I really enjoy that. So, yeah, it's, it's my independence is important, my freedom. It allows me to do things for God that I couldn't do. So am I lonely? No. Hmm. No, I, I occupy my time. I think confidence in God comes from, doesn't come from doing everything correct or right or having it all together. Confidence comes from knowing God loves you. And that's where I get my strength. That's where I get uh, the power to keep going. Okay. Do, do you feel, now, now we're off script now. Yeah. So, sorry. It's okay. I mentioned earlier, sometimes married people look at single people as, ah, something's wrong here. Yeah. Do you sense there's any level of, um, you've been excluded from certain things in the church because you're not married? Not at all. Oh, good. No, I feel like, uh, if anything, I, I get invited to do more things. And that's mm. cool. And people do care. Yeah, yeah, they see me riding my bike. I, I don't have a car. I haven't had a car in five years. And, uh, and they kind of feel sorry for me. But, man, it's so nice. It's so nice. What's nice, bicycle or being felt sorry for? <laughs> being felt sorry for. <laughs> so, so, so the human, I just want to reaffirm this. You feel like your busyness with the Lord and the things he has for you. And you admitted, you know, you, you, is there some selfishness in there maybe? It's possible. Yeah, I mean, I think we all have it. We all have it. But there's no loneliness in the sense that you need someone else. God is your... God is fulfilling me. Cool. That's He's phenomenal. making me whole. Yeah. You know that verse in the Bible that says two halves will become one? Mm-hmm. Uh, it <laughs> don't set me up like that. <laughs> okay. So, so Elena, you share with me concerns you have about people's attitudes when single. You addressed it already. But um, what are some of the false cliches we might have? And, and what are your thoughts on this? That sometimes we, you know, um, like the idea of being incomplete. You addressed it a bit. Do you want to say yeah. something more about the cliches we have for being single? And maybe single people have those cliches too. Yeah, definitely. Okay. I think... There's a sort of overcompensation for like the negative mentality in singleness, at least at GCU, there's this like 
sort of detrimental, I think, like self-help message that you would just hear over and over and over for single people. And it's fun to hear, but I, I don't think it's actually helpful. So I want to just address that. Um, but the message is this, like you'd go to a young adults group and they'd be like, we're talking about singleness today, which is like the hot button GCU uh, adults group <laughs> topic. But the message they tell you is like, oh my gosh, like don't be insecure, don't worry about it. Like you're beautiful and wonderful. Like you are enough and God's gonna bring you someone who's gonna complete you and fill all those needs and that void in your life. Just put your head down and love him more. And then just like, he'll make it so clear and it'll solve all your problems when it comes. Like that's like the message that you hear. And I understand why they say that, because like when someone's insecure and like struggling, like sometimes singleness causes deep pain, like we want to encourage. And I, I think that is an encouraging thought, but I don't think it's helpful because I think sometimes the uncomfortable truth, like the hard things to hear and ask ourselves, that brings so much more growth than just the fun stuff. So I think the uncomfortable truth of singleness that we have to ask ourselves and work through is that question of, what if marriage is not what God has for me? And don't hear me wrong. Like I firmly believe that the Lord does not put callings in our life. Like if you have a calling to be a wife and a mother or a husband and a father, like I don't think he puts those calls on our heart and then will abandon us in them because he, he gives us the desires of our hearts and he wants to honor them. But I think we have to ask that question, like what if this isn't what God has for me? Because whatever that raises in you, whatever fear or uncomfortable thought that raises, I think is what God wants to redeem in our singleness. So is it a fear of being alone or is it a fear of what other people will think or a lack of trust in God's will or timing? Um, for me, asking this question exposed that I really didn't have full trust and confidence in God's will and God's timing for my life. And it exposed that I wasn't really living my life like he was enough for me because I was constantly just longing for something that he didn't have for me at that time. And so these are not fun thoughts to think about, um, but I think that's the work to be done in singleness. It's like to address that head on when it feels like everyone around you maybe has what you want or is one step ahead. I think God is drawing us closer to himself through whatever parts of our life are not fully surrendered to him that singleness can sometimes expose. So. With that, I think a helpful response to a struggle with singleness to somebody who's in pain about it is not, oh, someone is coming who will complete you, but understanding that there's already someone who completes us fully, and that is Christ, and that this time is for knowing him better and growing a deeper relationship with him so that we can love our future spouses better and have healthier marriages. Like, that is the joy of singleness. And so... Um, I was telling this to a friend and I probably delivered it super poorly. I was like, well, you just have to ask yourself, like, what if God doesn't have marriage for you? Which probably wasn't the most sensitive way to do it. Um, and she was like, she was like, that's so easy for you to say because you have a boyfriend. Um, but I think this is a daily surrender for dating too. And it is for me every day to surrender to the Lord and still trust his will and timing in that aspect of my life and make sure that he's my foundation before anyone else is. So I think we have to reframe our thinking again from singleness being a sad, lonely thing to something that is a powerful, holy opportunity to put work in and grow in pursuing Christ. So. Excellent. So let me, let me ask this question, and either one of you both chime in. Um, you, you've chosen this point to, to stay single and not even date. Right. You, you know, you're, you're, you are dating Ben, mm -hmm. um, and you, you are among a lot of peers that are, are probably dating. Um, when I teach on this, I will say to your generation and to our generation that dating's purpose 
is to see if that's a person I want to marry. Dating isn't about just having fun because often when it's just about having fun, you cross lines of intimacy, end up sinning, end up breaking hearts. So your opinion on the purpose of dating. Absolutely, yeah. Dating is one of those extremely frustrating things to like figure out according to the Lord because it's not in the Bible at all. So if you're like, oh, I want to figure out God's will for dating, that word is not used. So I've stressed a lot about this, as you probably can tell. But, um, <laughs> but we can use like God's design for life itself, which is like our call as Christians is to honor him, bring him glory, serve him, pursue holiness. And you can use that coupled with the design for marriage, which we've been talking about for like four months now, so I'm not going to rehash that. But um, so you can look at both of those things and piece together what dating is for. And I think that's exactly what dating is, is to prepare ourselves for godly marriage and to honor Christ through getting to know somebody and preparing for marriage. So to that casual dating mindset, because you hear that a ton, like, oh, I'm not really looking for a spouse right now, so I'm just going to have fun. But my question would be, like, in the light of that, like, does this serve and honor God? Does this push me to holiness? And does this prepare me for a godly marriage? And, hmm. and to that mindset, I'd say that doesn't. And just looking at it from, like, a non-biblical perspective, but the term dating for fun, like, it's never fun. Like, whenever you're just, like, <laughs> whenever, <laughs> whenever you're dating casually, like, it always just ends so badly. It's, like, and there's a reason, <laughs> there's a reason that God designed it to be the way that it is, and that's because it's better that way, and it's better God's way. And, yeah, sometimes it's harder, and culture makes it look like it's this lame, horrible thing to date for marriage, but, like, it's so powerful because it's the way God designed it, and it, like, saves us from pain and more struggles, I think, so. Thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, I read this, and I thought about you, Elena. Hmm. Building a godly legacy. Does God care about your legacy? Absolutely. Seek the kingdom first during your single season. Be whole in your singleness. Your legacy will be built, and your foundation will be formed when you enter a God-ordained marriage. Pursue your purpose now. Your purpose is not just for you. Your purpose is for serving God and others. Focus on building something that outlives you, a legacy. Build your legacy. Someone is counting on you. Oh, where did I go? <laughs> Sorry. Um, if you want to leave a lasting legacy, and live a life of significance. We need to stay within God's will. Your legacy can change generations, even a nation. Amen to that, huh? Hmm. She lives a supernatural existence, accomplishing incredible things. Stop. This is specifically what made him think of her. So start, she, start to get over her, she. She lives a supernatural existence, accomplishing incredible things without stress and exhaustion because she makes prayer the foundation of her life. No one comes before her relationship with God. She is living, healing, loving others. She's focusing on her purpose. She's building a legacy. She's commit, she commits to helping others become better. She is passionate about changing the world. She is her. You are her. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you both very much. And is there any last thing you'd want to tell your church about singleness? 
I, uh, it, it's, it's such a low priority to be with someone right now. And I'm not saying God won't put someone in my life, mm -hmm. but it's not, it's not that important. We're living in a time, and you know, Paul said it back then, mm -hmm. the days are evil. Gosh, what's going on today? I mean, if the days were evil then, what's going on today? Do we really need to live for God? Do we really need to start pushing ourselves a little bit harder? Do we need to volunteer more? Do you see needs in the community? Take care of those people. Take care of them. I beg you. It's that important, guys. And we have to unite. We have to yeah. be together. We are family. Let's do it. Very good. Please. Thank you. Anything for you? No, that was all my thoughts. Okay, good. So, so let's, um, so if you get these chairs out, let's, I'm just going to, this, this is the end of this series on marriage, and it was very important that we talked about singleness, and we trying to get time to have the people on stage, we put it last. It doesn't mean it's last priority, but God is working greatly in this church, in families in this church. None of it is easy, amen? Relationships are hard, whether you're single or married. But that last phrase, if we'd go ahead and put up that last verse again, um, Dean, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, whether you're married or single, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. That is what we're called for. And as Joe so passionately just um, spoke to us, um, I think we can look at the world and say something is wrong. And our world deeply needs to know the hope of Jesus Christ, our purpose statement. And so let's talk to him about our role in accomplishing that and what we need to do in our life to remove things that are hindering an undivided devotion, whether married or single. Father, thank you for this last several months on talking about family. For those who are married with children or grandchildren who are single looking forward to marriage, for those who are single looking forward to serving you, whatever our situation in life is, Lord, you are in the midst of it. You are working in our hearts and minds. Help us to eradicate any lies we might believe about who we are, who you are, and the role we have in this life, any inadequacies, or, or maybe we have too high a view of ourselves. Lord, we need truth. We need to renew our minds. So work mightily in this, Lord, as we, the family of God in this building right now, your children that, that meet in this building, um, unite us. Unite us, Lord, for your glory. And... Um, I think we all want that undivided attention to you and devotion. Um, help us to see what's in the way. We love you and all because of Jesus. In his great name, we thank you. Amen.